Welcome back to a very special Geek Explained Extra series that we're calling Watching the Watchmen, where every week we're going to be sitting down and reviewing the episodes of HBO's Watchmen series. I am your host, Eric Azana, and I am joined by a very special guest, my co-host going forward on this series, Chris Carter. How are you doing, Chris? Hello, hello. I am well. How are you, Eric? Doing well, doing well. So, we are reviewing this week episode three, titled She Was Killed by Space Junk. Right. So, um, what'd you think, just overall? Man, I loved it. You know, and it's, uh, I, I have a special spot in my heart for, for Damon. Um, I love The Leftovers. I like his kind of a storytelling when it comes to, to God and humans and punishment and, and all that. But, specifically for this episode i thought the opening sequence was fantastic i mean that said something you know we're talking about on a very real human level kind of like what uh dark knight did for superhero film this is kind of doing that for a television in the way in that first five minutes the introduction to silk specter Mm -hmm. right which Mm -hmm. I didn't know at first i had no idea yeah i know you and, and they and they do a great job with that so we'll talk about Agent Blake, the beginning of the episode starts with what looks like a bank heist, which right. is being uh, put upon by, we saw her in the in the preview from last week, uh, Agent Lori Blake, who is now with the FBI, formerly Silk Spectre in the Watchmen comic. And this bank heist is broken up by a very familiar looking superhero. <laughs> yeah. um, here he's called Mr. Shadow, but yeah. if you watch this, he'll... He, you know, he's wearing a dark costume. He's got you know two points on top of his he's mask. He's doing the voice thing. He's doing his. Yeah. He's doing his voice, Lovely. and he's uh, he's got a utility belt. He's a little boa or a bola, and uh, it was really blatantly bad. Yeah, it, like, it was. Just, <laughs> yeah, it totally but they called was. him Mister Shadow, and it's like <laughs> that's kind of the freedom that you get with um, this being a right. DC property right. is being able to almost poke fun at stuff like this like we've seen them reference um dc comics properties in past episodes i still think that the opening from the very first episode featuring the uh 1921 tulsa riots are very reminiscent of the superman story yeah but this i thought was the most blatant (laughs) out of all of them basically saying like Oh yeah, this is what happens when uh, Batman goes up against the FBI. They even mention after this scene where it's like, you know, all these rich guys dressing exactly. up in Halloween costumes. So I, I thought I, it was really, yeah. really good. Yeah, that was that, that that was something too. And it's funny the the Revenger or the Shadow. It's funny how they, <laughs> they you know, when they said the rich guy is dressing up, that to me was like okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. But but. Despite that, it was great. Yeah, I, I, I agree. love the human part, the re- mm. the, the groundedness of that. Right. You know, and I think that, um, and, I, and we'll talk later about how the riots and how the the police wear the mask. I think that's so clever. But mm-hmm. this introduction, this character, first of all, you would I, I would never have thought that. But what an interesting way to kind of introduce it, to kind of kick it off, and just kind of show that part of it. And I really just goes into the cleverness of the series as a whole, right? I and absolutely grounding agree. it, and I thought that was that was fantastic. If you haven't seen it, if you're opening up, this is a great place to kind of to kind of pick it up. And it's sure. Spectre. I mean, I've seen oh, the. Yeah. It's been forever since in the film. I know you're right. more familiar than I am, but I. But I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, absolutely, it's a big deal in the film. So well, and and it's really interesting because we see Lori Blake at a point that we've never seen her when it comes to the comics or the film, where this is a Lori Blake post the events of Watchmen. This is a Lori Blake who is, has her Silk Spectre life behind her. She is a quote-unquote uh, functioning member of society she's right. joined the fbi we don't know how willingly she joined the fbi because yeah. there's certain friction between her and her boss that we can see but before they actually name her if you didn't know that she was silk specter you would have to really key into the context clues i had no idea before pointing out like yeah. when they go to her apartment when she uh, has her little meeting with Senator Keene, mm-hmm. uh, you see that she has an owl right. in her apartment representing Night Owl, of course, her right. 
former her lover at the end of the Watchmen okay. comic. Right. And then the uh, I want the sort of like Jackson Pollock painting mm-hmm. behind her that form. features the four of them. And this um, this painting really solidified. And there's a moment later on in the episode as well. But this moment really signified for me that this is a direct. Uh, sequel to the comic not the film ah. because you see in the painting the costumes that they're wearing yeah. uh, Dr. Manhattan Silk Spectre Ozymandias and Night Owl are their comic costumes they're not the, not the costumes, costumes from the film which were heavily redesigned the only person who really didn't change their look or anything was Rorschach, Rorschach because his yeah. was so simple yeah and for me like getting a lot of those um, comic uh, references throughout these three episodes so far have been really fun. Yeah. Like being able to point out stuff. And what I think is really interesting though as well is that at the end of the Watchmen comic, after everything's gone down, uh, Lori Blake and Night Owl, I'm blanking on his actual name, um, they get different identities. Oh. Like they go into like a witness protection program sure. and they take different identities while basically telling... Uh, each other that they're probably going to pick up being superheroes again in another town somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what happened between the two of them. It's implied that Night Owl is locked up somewhere, right? And that making this happen, make you know, solving the deal with the Seventh Cavalry, right. her putting in this time might get him out when Senator Keen becomes president. becomes president, right. which we have now. Uh, kind of been keyed into what he's about or his agenda like we've we've been getting like peppered um, appearances by him through the last two episodes Mm -hmm. but this really kind of gives us an eye into who he is as a character right so uh, going off of that Lori brings herself to uh, to Tulsa she is inserting herself and I thought for how focused the last two episodes were on uh, Angela on um, yeah I was surprised that we kind of took this sharp left turn and we went straight into Lori's perspective right and I think it's really interesting that you don't see Angela until pretty much until the funeral funeral. Yeah. yeah until they're getting ready for that yeah and on her way there she shows up at the warehouse where the police have the pod yeah and that is where we have Lori meet looking glass played fantastically by tim blake nelson <laughs> he is so yes. good i love him in every single thing i see him in yeah and he's so good as this character oh my god his tone his diction his pacing mm-hmm. and, and everything he spoke was so deliberate but guarded but at the same time precise it, it was fantastic and i love that part when it just what it, it made for such an interesting alternate future and, and watchmen did that right from the beginning that was right. you know when 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 i was shocked when from the film when Dr. Manhattan was when he kind of won Vietnam and they mention it here right, right. and it's a very Absolutely. big part in the film and I think uh, somebody said at one point if, if the only superhero on earth was American who could stand against America I remember Absolutely. that being an interesting concept but in this future that we're in here uh, because that the police were targeted and kind of in danger they were snatching people wearing masks and swabbing them I mean this right. is something that is 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 kind of could be true in some cases like like in like in densities like in Chicago and New York mm-hmm. um, some very difficult parts but I love the idea of when they call it the racist machine I'm like oh yeah yes. we can kind of tune in if, if you may not know you have racist tendencies or biases to a certain mm-hmm. races oh this could tell you it was such an interesting concept and again going back to the story writing and Damon he just does this ultimately wonderful layered story that's just right. so it's 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 believable. It's not gra- It's not like people are using eye scanners like clear, clear. It's not right. that. It's like we're using it, it, now t- today's tech mm-hmm. to you know, outside of the racist machine, of course. But right. you know, yeah. I mean, we have to have some fantastic well, but, element. But to honestly, it. Even, they could even. That's something that could be made. Of course, it's really just a surround sound um, widescreen uh, projector. It's all right. it is. It just flashes images in front right. of him. And what I think is really interesting, and I know you're a big fan of Damon Lindelof. I am. He is, for those of you who are, are unaware, he is the showrunner. He's the writer of pretty much the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what he does is he makes sure that every episode gives you all of the information that you need to know from past episodes organically in the plot. Right, not spoofy. There there isn't, like, you... Of course, because it's HBO, they do a previously on stuff every single week. But Lindelof has used the writing and used the framing and used the narrative to tell you everything like, okay, this is all the stuff you need to know about what happened in the last two episodes so that we can roll on into this. And using... um, the the racist machine, which right, I, right. I I love the scene. I think it was in the first episode where they actually utilize that, and you see Looking Glass using the machine to recognize whether the guy who is in there is part of the Seventh Cavalry. Or right. Not. They really do a good job, especially with uh, Lori being in there, of just kind of breaking it down and looking at it from a layman's perspective of yes. being like, yes, I realize that you guys are desensitized to it at this point because you live in this basically masked police state. But from an outside perspective, you're basically just, this is your... You're racist. This is your Turing test yeah, yeah. on whether you're a racist or not. Yeah, yeah. And the the back and forth, the banter sure. between her and Looking Glass was really well done. So clever. And the and we you even mentioned it a couple times while we were watching the episode about how the dialogue's very snappy. It really yeah. gets to exactly what you need to get from those characters in that moment. And I think that what's really great about that is you get to see these characters. Or organically interacting to each other. Yeah. Um, reacting to it each didn't other. Feel, yeah, it didn't feel forced. It felt, right. yeah, she was there. And the dialogue itself, the way they're phrasing things, it, it, to me, it was, it was very, like I said, it was organic. It was back and forth. And right. you could see that he's kind of like taking this person who's, who's, who's oversimplifying what they do, right? And mm-hmm. so... It, it, it was it was very interesting, and I loved that part of it. And uh, I just thought that was so clever. I have a question for you: What yeah. were they talking about when they dropped the squid onto New York? So, because that was in the background of right, the correct. Yes. So, really interesting. And we've uh, we saw in the very first episode where the squids were raining from the sky, hmm. little mini squids. Um, I don't, we don't know exactly how often this happens, but right. we just know it happens, and that is an effect from Vite's. Uh, experiment in the original Watchmen comic. In the film, if you've only watched the film, um, what Adrian does once he gets everybody to his, I think it was his um, his North Pole or South Pole base, his Arctic base, mm-hmm. is he basically frames Dr. Manhattan for using his abilities to destroy a bunch of cities around the world. That's mm-hmm. what happened in the film. Mm-hmm. Right. And that basically turned the entire world that was on the brink of nuclear war against Manhattan to unite them to stop the world from Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And that's why Manhattan left to go to Mars. In the comic, what they did is there was this whole subplot which was taking out. Um, they mentioned it a little bit in the um, in the scenes with the comedian in the film where the comedian went to this island and he saw things and it messed him up and that's why he went back and he was that's why ultimately Osmandius killed him was because he saw what was going on on this island. Oh I see. You never really find out what was going on on the island in the film but in the comic you see that the island was basically an experimentation site that Ozymandias was using to create this, essentially this giant squid alien looking thing. Interesting. And what he did was at the exact moment that he needed it to in the comic, instead of using Manhattan's power to blow up these cities, he just dropped this giant alien squid on top of New York, killing three million people. Oh, shit. So instead of blaming Dr. Manhattan, yeah. it was blaming this unseen, unknown alien force that united the world. Interesting. I see. So that's what he was talking about with the squids. Um, if you see, there's a couple moments where um, when they're looking at the, uh, the lab that Adrian's using, there's like a little magnifying glass on top of a... Yes. Uh, painting of a squid. Yeah. It's just like little, little stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I love it. And again, that really speaks to this being a sequel of the comic, not of the film. Right. And I like that they're making that distinction because even though I think the film was 
I mean, it's probably the most um, one-to-one direct adaptation of a comic ever done. And people love that about Zack. I mean, Zack Snyder, that and 300 are probably is mm-hmm. the one he's noticed for for the right. most, I would think. So, yeah. I, I In a positive know. light, at least. Yeah, that's right, so, too. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think it's really interesting that they are taking this stuff, and even if you aren't um, familiar with it, if you're more familiar with the film... Mm-hmm. You see certain things, sure. and you're immediately like, "I want to know about that. Yeah. I want to know why that is." So, really like that. I also really liked what I would consider the overall theme of the episode, which is uh, hell, purgatory. Right. Uh, they mention it in Laurie's joke throughout the entire yeah. thing of sending the heroes to hell. Um, I'm sure that's going to come back. The joke of all of the all the three of them, because she was basically talking about sure. Night Owl, Ozymandias, and Doctor Manhattan. Right. So I'm assuming that that's going to come back, and the three of them being sent to hell is going to be something that we're going to see right. in the um, in the later half of the season. I, I think so too. Um, but there was all kinds of different cues to hell and the concept of hell, sure. like the uh, the motel that um, Laurie and the other agent, I don't even know his name, um, are staying at is called the Black Freighter Motel. In the original Watchmen comic, the Black Freighter was this comic book that was kind of like the uh, comic within the comic, talking about this guy who is um, perpetually being hunted by this Black Freighter, which is um, manned by the undead. And people just like in purgatory, burning. You're basically sentenced to work this ship for the rest of your afterlife and then when you go to the actual funeral the uh the i don't even know what do you what do you call that the the plot of land that a funeral is Uh, a cemetery so the, the cemetery is called uh tartarus acres and tartarus as greek and history buffs know is the greek version of purgatory is the greek version of hell Mm-hmm. And that's where souls who are damned go and they burn for all eternity. And that was obviously done on purpose. You don't name it. Right. It's like resting peacefully cemetery. It's, yeah. it's never <laughs> welcome to hell cemetery. <laughs> yeah. And I like that the idea that this is everyone is kind of living out their own personal hell right. throughout this episode is really interesting. Yeah. Like the idea that um, Lori, after, from what we're assuming, because she's the. The original events of the comic happened in the 80s. We're now in 2019 in this show. Uh, has left the life of being a masked vigilante. Is now having to insert herself into this town full of masked right. vigilantes. She says the line, you know, what's the difference between I a love masked that cop line. and a vigilante? I don't know. It's like, Dude, me either. Exactly. And it's like, I love that. Like, she's yeah. living her own personal hell. Um, they blow up Judd in his coffin like he, yeah. it wasn't already bad enough that he was hung yeah. <laughs> and we still need to get a resolution to the Ku Klux Klan robes in his right, closet. closet I'm sure from what the preview the trailer, we saw we get one it looks like next week we're going to get more yeah. info on that but I I was really impressed by all of the um, little things that they did to feed into that theme of your own personal hell right right i mean even and, and also punishment you know and you and you mm-hmm. look at it and so you know it goes back to and i i love the saying either you live long enough or you you die i freaking you're gonna have to help me on this one either you live live long enough to be the if you die the hero oh, like or you live you, long you, enough to be the villain you either die to die a hero or live long enough to be the villain. and so when when she's talking the joke telling the joke at the pearly gates and it's like no matter how much good you do in the eyes of God is either not enough or too much. You've killed three million people. You're horrible. You didn't kill anybody, and you have all this wealth of knowledge. How, how did that happen? You're weak, yeah. going to hell. And so all of these things happen. And so in the eyes of God, if, you know, obviously she believes in that, you're going to be sent to hell no matter what you do. So right. you right now, like you're saying, it's just a purgatory until sentencing. Mm. And I think that's what she keeps talking about too, and that's definitely part of it. And I go, I, I love what you said about she's kind of living in this purgatory until she has to meet God, and then she gets her sentencing, which will be inevitable. Right. No matter how many people you've helped, it's not going to matter. Yeah. At least in the eyes of whatever punishment she's or from whatever God she's going to get from it. I, I think that she knows that, and mm-hmm. so maybe it's 
for past crimes back in the 80s that maybe right. she felt she was acting good and not and, and, and it's I just love how how they are telling this story on that level mm-hmm. and you go back to it and and you you said earlier the way they write the show you can kind of get a up-to-date version organically throughout the episode right when she is in the mausoleum talking um and she's saying you know I'll tell you it was in the closet and it just felt like she was baiting her. And right, because she like, knows. Yeah, and it just felt like two... Mm-hmm. It was like chess right. between these two loved masters. Scene. I loved, loved it, too. Scene. I thought Back and forth was fantastic. Or, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm loving every second of it. Right. And so I thought that was fantastic. And I'm just so in, in, enamored with this story now. So mm-hmm. I... I and, and, and it was great. And I go back to... I love the the dopa reference, and she's like, "That's such a, you're, you're, you know what I mean." It's <laughs> yeah. like you couldn't come up with a better acronym than this, but yeah. I think that that was just really, really interesting. Um, but I love all the points you're saying about that too. And I didn't know it was Silk Spectre until, uh, and they framed it perfectly for the camera, right? So being a camera guy, you've got in, in the painting coming back, and she's framed in where she would be in mm-hmm. the painting. It's like, oh shit, okay. I didn't that's give it until is. that's yeah. when I got it, mm-hmm. but I'm like fucking Eric probably got it <laughs> 20 minutes before this. But, you know, I, and I love the the, the owl's name's who? Mm-hmm. What's his name? Who? And it's like okay, God, that's that's yeah. that's very clever. What was the? Tell me, what is the Millennium Clock? What is that? So we don't know yet. Okay, we're not sure. Like we just know that it's this giant structure. Yeah, that was built in Tulsa, and it's just kind of looming over everybody. And okay, we're not sure exactly what's going on with that. But in the preview for next week's episode, we see these, they look like flying cars going around the Millennium Clock. Yeah. And I think that's going to tie into the ending of this episode, where we saw in last week's episode that Angela's car with um, supposedly her grandfather in it uh, gets just like yanked off of the street and then taken up into the sky in the night sky like alien taking up yeah but it could also be I mean it could also be um, the owl ship like dropping a little like thing to attach this car and at the end of the episode you know Lori is getting out of the phone booth which I want to talk about as well Um, and the car just gets dropped right in front of her Mm -hmm. and she has a really weird reaction to it yeah because she sees the light in the sky yeah and we're not sure exactly what's going on with that. What did you think? I mean, just on I, face value, not what did you think it was? I, I think it's this, you know, going back to this, you know, personal hell theme. I think it's her realizing that she's going to be there a lot longer than she thought. Mm. And that this idea of, of course, they're using the Altec. Of sure. course, whatever is here is going to be hovering over me. Mm. Like you know Occam's razor like oh, this sure. is not only am I you know having to deal with the Manhattan phone booths here but I'm also being reminded of my exes <laughs> you know or my you know caged lovers right. like technology so I I'm not sure what do you think it was well why my question on that was why did it look and it got she okay so she comes out the car cra- and she mm-hmm. just finished the story about the little girl right right she throws the brick up the brick kills God. The little girl's there, oh. and of course, it's a little girl too, right? Right. So she's obviously talking about everybody's punishments, and I think that's indirect reference to her. Yeah. Right. The way I took it, and again, you are far superior when it comes to this to me. I thought it was she goes out. She's just talking to Doctor Manhattan. Why do I? Ta- why do I call you? Why you don't? You don't ever yeah. listen. She walks out. The car crashes. It's sudden. It's it's. She looks right. up. Red planet. It's red. I, I think, and, and oh, that's why she's. That's I, why she has the reaction of smiling. It's like, oh, you are fucking listening. No, I you know love what I mean? that. So no, that's I, how I, I got it. I didn't connect that at all. That's great though, because like that makes sense with the. Um, if you take into account last episode, where the car literally gets thrown and thrown right. into the sky, I'm using uh, quotation marks for podcast listeners, gets <laughs> thrown into the sky, the yeah. brick, yeah, and then it comes back down when we least expect it, right. That's great. That's great. And I'm sure that that's what they, since you're more um, familiar with Lindelof's writing style and the way that he yeah. puts his narratives together, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's 
that makes sense why she laughs the uh, the irony of it exactly I took the light as whatever the uh, ship was that dropped sure. the car but I like that the red light could be Mars right and that the idea is that he is listening that's why and I think it, she's smiling that's, if right. she wasn't smiling I wouldn't have thought that but it's yeah. kind of like that you are listening well and, it, and I think it's so interesting the concept of these um, Manhattan phone booths because mm-hmm. you can tell that they are they're like a commercial thing yeah it's like I'll oh, speak to Dr. Manhattan yeah. on Mars <laughs> yeah. you know for thirty nine ninety five. Yeah, you can exactly. send a message to Mars It'll like listen to you. like stuff like that like I think that's amazing yeah and that everybody knows about this stuff sure everybody like we talk about um them making a joke in the FBI briefing room where they're like, you know, vigilantes never, you know, nothing ever ends up going right for them. Right, Agent Blake? Right. <laughs> and, like, everybody knows that she used to be Silk Spectre. So there yeah. is a certain amount of familiarity with all of the events. Right. You know, Rorschach's journal got turned into what looks like a best-selling Selling book. book. Yeah. And... Uh, Adrian Veidt, we know, is um, a public figure, and then his company was bought out. So I really think that it's interesting, the commercialization sure. of the Watchmen. We see the Minutemen, who are the original version of whatever we call the Watchmen, right. um, were the... Uh, th- they're making a documentary series that yeah. we saw the <laughs> tease of the first episode for last yeah. episode. And going over to that idea of um, not just like uh, superheroics and everything that happened in Watchmen coming into the public eye but making money off of it right what do you how do you feel about that about well, like the commercialization of vigilantism you know it, it again I think that this the future that they created for that is just incredibly diverse and interesting because you you have this it's it's funny, we went to go see Ad Astra a couple months, weeks ago, or whatever. It was a mediocre movie at best. But they say the con- con- the first colonies on Mars or the moon will have like a Taco Bell or a Yoshinoya. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's not far to kind of stretch your imagination to kind of put it into perspective. What, what you're talking about is plausible. Right. I mean, it's, I can't. They made a ten-part miniseries on Jeffrey Dahmer, and at one point in time, it's incredibly captivating as well. That's but right. it's like, should you? You know, it's like, yeah. and, and, and there's all the uh, controversy around the uh, Zac Efron Ted Bundy. Yes, film that's on Netflix. yes. You know, they're like, we want to make them likable. Well. Fucking why? You know, this dude did right. terrible things. But like to your point, what you're saying is it just in today's society, which. Again, I go back into the writing, into what uh, Damon's kind of created. Mm-hmm. He's made it believable. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just something that can be ridiculous, but not outside the realm of possibility. And I think that's right. kind of his wheelhouse. And I go back to um, the Calvary, right? How, right? how when that happened, it's not to put outside of the realm of possibility that that could happen. And Absolutely. Then, and then what would be the, re- the how response, would you fix it? Exactly. Especially in a smaller... Mexico. If you look in the federal in, in, in the yeah, federal agents right. of Mexico, they have to wear masks because to of this. Their identity. Exactly. That's true. So, like, you know, and I just—it's just so interesting to, to see how this happens. So, right. On, on on what you're saying about the commercialization of these things in this series, right. I absolutely believe it. And I mean, it's kind of something we don't really see. I mean, maybe a little bit in Spider-Man: Homecoming when you can kind of see everybody kind of yeah. accepting it, but. You know, it was never that way. I don't think in Justice League, and not that we talk about Justice League very often, but we don't. Right. You know, and so it was never that way in Batman. You mm-hmm. know, this is the first kind of, uh, of of maybe superhero kind of series that's kind of broached that, and right. it makes itself, I guess, self aware. And well, that's and I think like the cynicism, yeah, I think is prevalent in this. I'm sorry, I got you off. No, no, that, that's that's a great point. I mean, I think that's that's part of what I think Damon kind of and again, I can't sing enough praises, um, kind of does with this. You know, he makes it so all these characters are good, but they're damaged. It's, right. it's like, are you really that good? And I think there's a line in, in this in this last episode about it. It's where, like, uh, and, I, and I can't get it, but we'll have to get it again. It's like, you, you think you're good? Or no, it's if a man... Hanging oh, yeah, it's like from if a, tree, a man gets hung from a tree and with he stuff has, in like, his a closet. secret compartment in his closet right. he likes to hero. think he's a good man oh, yeah. good guy yeah. and and i think that's a leading statement to believe where you mm-hmm. say hey, you're tr- probably not a good man or yeah. you probably have done things that 
if people knew about, they wouldn't consider you a good man. And I right. think that these characters are kind of, and, and again, you being an actor can speak on this, a flawed, a flawed hero. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so interesting to follow as an audience member. Right. Um, but I think all of these characters are flawed in the runway. Well, do you think and that's kind absolutely. of... Absolutely. And they're all super compelling. Even yes. the smallest characters, like we see uh, before she goes into uh, Meet with Looking Glass, mm-hmm. Lori goes and meets with Pirate Jenny and Red Scare. Oh, yeah. I love Red Scare. <laughs> Red Scare is the most ridiculous guy that they have. Just this Russian guy in a red track suit right. and a little red ski mask. No like effort put into this. Yeah. And I love that when she comes up to them and they're like taking this guy... She's like, and who are you? And they almost sound ashamed to say, like, I'm Pirate Jenny. And he goes, like, I'm Red Scare. And it's like, because you get how ridiculous it could yeah. be from an outside perspective. Yeah. But you see that when they're in their element, like we saw last episode with the raid on right. the, uh, the trailer park. Yeah. Um, how comfortably they fit into these roles. Right. Uh, when Angela's sister Knight, she is just in the zone, like right. kicking ass, kicking doors down. But when she's Angela, she's a little bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit more um, on her toes mm-hmm. and a little bit more anxious. And we see the, and I think we're going to see more of this, we see the disparity between those two, between sure. your masked persona and your unmasked persona. And I think as we get further into the season, we're going to see a larger divide between those. Like when it comes to having masks on your police force, where does accountability come in? Right. And we, right. we I mean, this is probably just like the original Watchmen comic at its time, probably one of the most topical superhero um Properties yeah. that we can have at this current political and social climate, right? Um, and I talk I talk about this way too much, like on the on the podcast. But it's like <laughs> having this real world aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the the first episode after we get the uh, opening with the race riots in 1921, we flash forward to today. It starts with a white man getting pulled over by an African American cop. Mm-hmm. And the implications of that, I think, are really interesting. Yeah. And the this idea that the police basically had what people in the Seventh Cavalry Cavalry would consider a reckoning mm-hmm. with them, you know, showing up to their homes, taking them out, um, most of the police force quitting afterwards for fear of their families, right. and then the ones that stick around wear masks. Where does accountability come in? Where does the idea of civil liberty come in? Sure. You know, how can you talk about police brutality when you can't name your abuser? Right, who the police are. I think that's what makes that and this as a whole very interesting. I mean, even if even if someone who doesn't who's never read Watchmen, right. who's never read it right, that's what I think that if you can ground something in realism or something relatable mm-hmm. And then you talk about the social climate um, and the racial climate because there is that. Absolutely. You know, and uh, it's funny. I was reading an article that somebody had written a while ago, and it was uh, a white guy. And it was, I think it was an actor. And I swear to God, I cannot remember his name. But he said a lot of black people would have issues because all the characters they were playing were not looked at um, as hero characters or as good characters, right? Right. The white guy never saw an issue with that. And then there were a couple movies that came out, and it might have been in the 80s with black exploitation or whatever, mm-hmm. and the reverse happened, where the main characters and the good guys were black guys, and the white guys are bad guys. And this actor, the, the, the dude who was telling the story, he had said that he felt personally victimized by that because he'd never seen that. Right. And it took never that. It. Right. And it took that for him to see the other point of view. It's right. like, if I've only known this my entire life, but all of a sudden, if it's flipped, it makes me feel uncomfortable then mm-hmm. there's probably something wrong with there's probably some type of issue that you see wrong with the right. other side but again i mean there's a whole that's well, a whole other thing and, altogether. and it's really it's a systemic issue and what a lot of people myself included we don't realize how much we live inside of a bubble right 
at certain points, like some things that are a day-to-day struggle for people, you would never think twice about. Right. And I think when you put that in the scope of a superhero show, or I guess we we should call this a comic adaptation show because there are no superheroes to be found here. That's true. That's Um, the same. That's that's the when you put it in that in that um, spectrum and you really take a close eye on what and we talked about it earlier what is the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante where does that where does the line get drawn and I think that really does a great job at making sure that you are keeping your eye on every person. Yeah. Because everybody's got a story, everybody's got a secret, and everybody's got an end game. Everybody's got an objective. Right. Uh, Which I think is really interesting when you look at some of the scenes that seem to have less, um, less drive or less direction, such as the... Adrian Veidt scenes. Mm. Now, Adrian, we finally officially know that he is playing Adrian Veidt, Jeremy Irons is. Right. They have gone to great lengths in the last two episodes to never name him. He's just master. Sure. And then even in the scene where he does get um, named, when they're reading the, or when Miss Crookshanks is reading the letter, she says, dear, and he's like cuts her off before he <laughs> says his name. And I was like, oh, you are just playing with me so hard. Yeah. Um, we finally get confirmation that he is playing Adrian Veidt, who has been, from all intents and purposes, declared dead by the general media and by the world. And you see, we've been seeing these scenes throughout the last three episodes of him living in this giant mansion on this, you know, incredible landscape estate. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I don't. It's, I have no idea. But what? we're, you know, talking about this whole concept of personal hell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Adrian Veidt is known to be the smartest man in the world who can make anything work. And the fact that whatever experiments that he's trying yeah. in this episode, he can't get it to work, um, I think is interesting. And sure. we finally see someone else besides uh, Adrian and his two housekeepers that have what seems like an infinite amount of clones of each other mm-hmm. with the game warden, who is yeah. also wearing a mask. And I thought it was really interesting when she, when uh, Lori earlier made fun of the other FBI agent calling him you know, you're not the Lone Ranger. Yeah. And the game warden, looking very Lone Ranger-ish. Yeah. On the horse, right? Yeah, yeah. with his mask and his hat. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm really interested to see where they go with this because it's totally disconnected from everything else. Absolutely. It, 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 feels, it feels very jarring when you go to right. it. And, and you know they, they are going to bring that back around. Of course. They, yeah. I don't know if it's going to land. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if it's going to fit in perfectly, but you know that there's going to be an attempt later on down the season yeah. to bring everything back around. Yeah. Um, but for now, like the little bits and pieces we've gotten from him have been really interesting. Last episode, he was working on a play, basically telling the story of Dr. Manhattan. Um, and for those of you keeping score at home with your uh, blue dick tracker, we have one. We have <laughs> yeah. one sighting. And it was last episode. We'll keep you updated as we go throughout the season. Uh, no blue dick sightings in this episode. No, but, but we will keep the scoreboard and the tally marks alive, and we will keep you updated for everyone who is doing uh, fantasy blue dick spotting. Blue dick tracking. Home. There was a, a pseudo dick in this one, though. There was. That's, that was do, do you rather... think that counts? Does that count? No. No. Right? No. Yeah. This, is not, this is not a real dick. No. Um, I loved that review. <laughs> yeah. By the way. It was because we keep seeing this silver briefcase, this small silver briefcase that Lori is toting around throughout the entire episode. We never see her open it up or use it. We saw her open it up once, and then we saw there was like a blue light in there, and then she shut it again. And you don't see what it is until right. the very end, where you find out that not only is there a picture, of her and Dr. Manhattan from probably some magazine cover. It was an Esquire, I think. But it is a giant blue dildo. Yeah, massive. Or a, or a vibrator, I guess. I, I don't know, I guess. There were no, uh, but I, I, I think that's fascinating. Dude, I honestly wrote down, like, what, halfway through when you see the case open and you see, the, like, the light on her face, I'm like, oh, shit, what is it? And then we see at the end, it's like, oh, shit, it's a dildo 
slash vibrate. I'm like, oh, shit. All right. That's not what I expected. No, I would not at all. Not have thought that. And I think that that idea of um, subversion of expectations. Sure. And that's, it's been such an overplayed phrase for the last year. <laughs> just like, oh, we're subverting expectations here. Yeah. Um, especially with another HBO property. Very much so. But, um, I think this particular moment of subverting that expectation of it being like her opening it up and it being some secret treasure from Dr. Manhattan yeah. or like a phone to actually communicate yeah. with him yeah. or his head. I was thinking um, Tesseract in some like, way. I know obviously we're, we're a whole other IP, but right. I'm like, oh shit, this is, yeah. But like it opening it up and it just being this bright blue vibrator. Massive. Was like, it, it was large. Oh my like, god! Overly thought, yeah, so. It was like one of those shells you load into artillery. And, and we've seen fucking... <laughs> <laughs> it had that type of feeling too. And it. we've seen the film. For those of you who've read the comic, you've seen the comic. He's not that big, so I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming he's a grower, not a shower. I, yeah, I guess so. But, right. Um, I bet you didn't think that this would take this was, was going to uh, become a rate Dr. Manhattan's day but here we are <laughs> um, but yeah overall I thought the episode was really well done do you have any points that you that we haven't touched no, on no I just I, I thought it was fantastic I mean the, the, this the first five minutes right we talked right. about the introduction to the character who ended up being Silk Spectre which in itself that was awesome so right. there were some and then we didn't talk about, I mean, the end part of it, when the guy shows up with C4 strapped to himself. And, That's right. The you funeral know, bombing. I think that all of the, there were three major parts in this in this, in this this episode that were just were fantastic. And it, yeah. and I just can't wait to see how, where it goes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that, and obviously at this point, her story is my, is the most compelling to me. Right. I think because of the, you really nail well, it. The personal hell. Yeah. Like, or I'm sorry, the personal purgatory yeah. to get to that, to get to your sentencing. And Absolutely. I think that, you know, I, I don't know. Well, and I think that is really interesting because if this is the first episode of this show you've ever watched, mm. you would be forgiven for not knowing that Angela has been the main character for the last two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Because this is so focused on her, pers- on Lori's perspective sure. that... For me, having watched these past two episodes, it was jarring. Yeah. Because we were so focused on having these last two episodes be all about Angela's story and her focus. You know, learning her background, the events of her experiences on the White Knight, Mm -hmm. uh, her relationships with Judd, with Looking Glass, with everybody. That Lori coming in and almost, I would say, being this uh, secret second protagonist... Yeah, watching this, it's going to be really interesting. Especially the scenes that they've had together. Yeah, have been really interesting, and I'm assuming that going forward here, those two are going to be our two leads. Yeah, have, did you have you did you watch the leftovers at all? I haven't. I've, okay. I've heard very good things about it. So, um, in this series, and I and I think in TV you can do this, and we can talk about like the because you know the filmmaking part of it, how you can build the story, and you right. can shift points of view. The leftovers. You could argue it could have had four main characters. Interesting. In case. What's great about that is because you you just said it. You can get different points of view from the same story. Right. So we may have in, in that conversation in the mausoleum. We may have two different right. points of view going forward that, on what you take away from that. Absolutely. But it could very well end up being three or four main characters, and I think that's great because you're going to care. We we were avid Game of Thrones people, right? So right. that moment when we saw um, Jamie and Daenerys on the battle for, I think it was season, the season before the last one, and there was a moment when you thought that Jamie might be cooked mm-hmm. right from the dragon and Bronn pulls him off. Absolutely. And, and the showrunner said that was the first time that we had two principal characters that are diametrically opposed to each other, that you root for both of them, right. that one of them... So, but... What Damon does, he creates these characters that you genuinely care for, Mm -hmm. but that eventually one of them, you're going to see that good or bad, however they are, are eventually going to start dying off. And so you're going to care when that happens. And, you know, we're probably not going to get seven seasons of it like we got with GOT. And maybe we will. Who knows? But, you know, you're eventually some of these characters are going to you're going to care for them. And let me ask you this, because. Since you watched Leftovers all the way through, yeah. you said that there was, there, it could be argued that there were four different main characters. Were yeah. they all introduced at the same time, or were they like this, just, where they had separate points where it's suddenly their perspective? They were absolutely just like this. In fact, a couple of the That's actors in this are in left. The, the, the lead um, in this uh, is, is one of the leads in the second season Leftovers. Regina King? Yes. 
And really? She, yeah, she plays in one of the best episodes in season two called Lens, and she's actually she's deaf in one ear. Um, it's it's wonderful. If you haven't seen it, if you have, to, maybe we'll do it after this. But but um, yeah, and they are they are introduced exactly like this. And I yeah. think as a writer, you have the flexibility of kind of weaving a story that's more intricate. So mm-hmm. let's say that we have we introduce our main character for the first two episodes, and we have a sub main. Well, let's enter episodes three and four, right. and then let's bracket into a fifth one with maybe another sub main. And then when we get to six, we can interweave all of these characters, and we have six, seven, and eight, and finish off our season where you have all the backstory and all these characters. You care about them. You understand their points of view. And so, therefore, their actions may be jarring if you just came into them from the first episode. Mm-hmm. You completely understand where these characters are coming from and where they've built from. And, and you're familiar with them and you like them. A lot of times you will identify. Right. That, that's, the sto- that's, that's the mark of a good writer, right? To yeah. write characters, you can identify with. like, I get it. I see that point of view. Well, I think it's really interesting because there's going to be... I just looked this up. So this first season of Watchmen is going to be nine episodes. Okay. So we have six more episodes to go from here. Mm -hmm. Do you think just off of your own opinion from what we've seen, we are going to get more main lead characters introduced here or do you think we're going to stick with these two for the rest of the season? No, I think... Well, maybe there... There could be more than two right now. Right. We've got... Well, I mean, we could consider Adrian a lead, possibly. And it looks like his story next week is going to be heavily looked at, right? So we've got that catapult-looking thing, and you know what I mean? I just just don't know what's going on. I I, I was going to ask you, like, why is this guy frozen? Do you have any idea? Well, he said, you know, you're going to go off into the great unknown. Yes. I'm wondering, because he looked like he was frozen, like like you see in sci-fi movies when people get sucked out in space. Yeah, that's what I got Um, from it. We had, like, him with, like, the rope around him. Yeah. and you see, like, when we're talking about the uh, the game warden, the letter that he sends him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the little letter-writing scene between Adrian and <laughs> yeah. Crookshanks when she's Dictates. just like, this is going to have him quaking in his boots. Yeah. <laughs> like, he How mentions, you know, the terms of our, of it's like the terms of your captivity. Mm-hmm. So... Adrian's trapped where, wherever he is. He doesn't want to be He's trapped there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put this theory out. I think he is trapped some like somewhere on Mars by Dr. Manhattan. Interesting. I don't know where I don't know why of I would get this idea, but him trying to figure out a way, you know, with this makeshift spacesuit for space travel. Mm-hmm. Trying to get out of somewhere. And yeah. you see that he has busied himself with like trying to find things to do. Sure. Like horse riding, uh, writing this play. Play. Yeah. You know, but this was the first episode where we see him doing something active. Well, and, and he spend we get a big part of him drawing. I, I, it was very Da Vinci like, right? The Absolutely. So, All the plans that you know, this little workshop. And you go back to like you said, your own personal purgatory hell. I mean, what what bigger hell could the smartest person in the world have than to be in a place where there is no connectivity to anything right. else, and you're and just, he can't get anything to yeah. work. Yeah. You know, and so I think I think interesting. Interest. I, I, I kind of, I'd like to see. I thought space travel too, but I'm like, there's no mm. way. He's attaching a rope to him. He's not gonna slingshot him from Mars to. I mean, I mean he's got a catapult. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, he's, there's a person in that catapult, and he just yeah, right? He's like, I'm gonna get out. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think as as we go on, just like we saw a shift in um, narrative perspective. Mm. We're going to see a shift in his perspective and in his goals. Sure. And that's what I was saying with everybody having a having an objective, having a drive, everyone having um, all of these uh, intentions. We don't know exactly where he is. We don't know why he's there. We don't know how long he's been there. Um, I loved him dressing up in his old school Ozymandias costume. Again, if you only watch the film, it's very different. Yeah. It's a very different costume. Um, But I loved seeing him in the old, you know, comic Ozymandias costume. Right, looking very proud. ridiculous. Yeah, it's... And he's just so proud of himself looking in the mirror just like, yes. So I don't know, again, exactly what's going on with him. Do you think they will introduce... uh, Silk Spectre's prisoned lover, ex-lover. 
I would be interested. Um, I'm sure at some point that's like a um, a Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. You mention it, like, you know, if a president can, you know, Pardon. get your owl out of her cage. Right. So he's locked up somewhere, sure. or it's implied he's locked up somewhere. Uh, we don't know if maybe, and this is just spitballing theories, obviously. Um, they had their little like uh, new identities with the um, witness protection thing. Right. They continued their vigilantism. He got caught, and she was basically, you can join the FBI on this or anti-vigilante thing, or you can go with your boyfriend. Um, I'm assuming it could be something like that. That'd be one from narrative, I'm by assuming, the way, too. Well, and and I think that with this idea. Uh, in the original Watchmen story, this idea that both of them were trying to leave that life behind them, yeah, and them going back to it is ultimately what put them in the situations, their own personal hell, mm-hmm. being what they are. Um, I think the idea of him showing up at some point is inevitable, but it's gonna really come down to when they do it because that has to be a maximum because they've been very um, intentional with their Watchmen references. I said last week when I was talking about the first two episodes, you could be forgiven for not knowing that this was a Watchmen property Mm -hmm. because they pepper in the Watchmen influences so deliberately and so intentionally that every single moment with these characters is there for a reason. Yeah, We never saw these Manhattan phone booths until this episode. We didn't know that Night Owl was locked up until this episode. We didn't know that Lori Blake was a FBI agent until this episode. We didn't see the moments where um, Ozymandias was making this play about uh, Dr. Manhattan until last episode. Mm-hmm. So they're being very deliberate and very selective on where they put their Watchmen stuff. Yeah. So I'm assuming they're holding off on revealing Night Owl until a very specific point in the narrative. Whether that's going to be this season yeah. or not, who's to say? Sure, sure. And I think they had to... They, they have to build the world, right? right. They, they have to. They have to so take they do that a great time, job. and they do a great job at that. So I think now they've done that. Yeah. Now they're starting. That's why I think they're making more Watchmen references. They've kind of built their right. their worlds, and now we can kind of, like so you said, sprinkle in here. I think he will show up. I think that that will be a wonderful by the end narrative. of the season. Because otherwise, what what is what is Silk, Silk Spectre's kind of end game? Like, what is what do you think her right. agenda would be? Is it just to sit there until she dies and kind of maybe pay I, I the do. price well, for her and, sins and you can tell that she doesn't enjoy what she does absolutely you could tell you she's kind tell, of miserable I mean yeah she's miserable taking out these vigilantes where they yeah. are you know we have that heckler at the beginning where yeah. he's like this guy's a hero and she's yeah. like he's not a hero he's a joke yeah and it's like you can tell that she has this real bitterness right. about everything having to do with vigilantism superheroes whatever and I think her end game is to like get out of the life because that would be self-loathing at that point right right? so and you can tell there's a certain aspect of that to her as well because she hates that she used to be a superhero yeah I'm actually very I'm I'm, it's very impressive that that the filmmakers didn't resort to a trope of her drinking or her smoking or her just like because they self-loathing is kind of carried that in in filmmaking storytelling right right? let me just having those kind of poisons you know exactly and I think they they just they didn't do that for her but they I would I would argue that they did with the with the Manhattan call with the yeah yeah well not just that though but also the vibrator because that's something that she's ashamed of that's something that she um I'm assuming uses regularly. Yeah, she, well, she carries the thing with her. She yeah. took it with her on this <laughs> trip. Yeah. So I mean, like, it's. I think it's really interesting, like talking about that vice and self-loathing, um, and we might see that. You know, some people that kind of manifests in also your personal relationships, which we saw at the end too, when mm-hmm. she sleeps with the, the yeah. junior agent yeah. after she's been. Which I mean, go her. Yeah, he's a good-looking <laughs> guy. Good, good for her, and she's an older. She's. You good for you, so it's back to you. I, I like yours. how you you, you know, veered left to like, be very diplomatic about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this idea of self-loathing, we're gonna see more of it. We're gonna see because you also know that with this whole idea of self-loathing, she keeps that painting yeah. of the yeah. four heroes. She has memorabilia. The pet owl, you know, the pet owl as yeah. well. Um, 
And then even just the magazine cover, because right. I mean, unless that's yeah, I don't know, that's part of the package. Who knows? Yeah, or her activities. That's the that's the record. Um, I. I think there's we're gonna get more with her and we're gonna get more about her pathos and we might even get a moment where she runs into Sister Knight when she's all decked out. Yeah. And she's gonna have to have that conversation with her of like, this is a slippery slope. Right. This becomes a life. And then before you know it, you end up like me. Right. Where you're a pawn of the system forced to hunt down the people who you used to represent. Right. Yeah, and use as the bargain chip of the ex-lover who probably you you paint a really good picture with your narrative where it's like yeah she was they probably both got caught he was whisked away to jail and she was given the option you can work for us you can go with him that's that to me would be the natural progression of right. her story i think and so absolutely and and also with uh keen going in there and in offering that chip hey i if if i'm president i can get anybody out of whoever i want and that's what propagates her to go right. like you know what i mean it's like if I'm saying yeah to that, then I think the character would be like, okay, for their end game, mm-hmm. that's what they'd this like is, to see. This done. is to absolve her. Yeah, this is that's her end game, and I and absolve them both. Right, right, and I, and I think um, this episode more than the previous episodes where we've seen him really makes you want to take a second look at Keen, at Senator Keen. Yeah, the, there's yeah. something going on. I I'm gonna throw this out there, see what you think of it. Mm. I think he staged. The funeral bomb, mm-hmm. I think he had a hand in it, right? Because you saw how the bomber wanted him specifically, sure. pulled him away. Um, the media press coverage afterwards, it felt very yeah. presidential. Yeah, um, I'm not here to talk about, about the Russians. I'm here to, talk, you know, the great right. state of the Mer- of America and Oklahoma. It's like, uh-huh. yeah, and I'll, I absolutely agree. And then maybe it's the the cynicist in me of the viewer it's like well. nah that's bullshit that's obviously yeah there's no way he's yeah, a good person like exactly that. you know it's just so I, I'm totally on board with what you're saying although I couldn't tell you who's behind the veil but I can I, I yeah. absolutely agree with you like yeah that's all bullshit yeah there's was, something going yeah. on deeper with him and yeah. the 7th Cavalry as well yeah, and you know, not just that. I mean, he was the guy who went to her and said, "Hey, that's true. Let me get you here." And now, because of this, because what I can do for you, you do this for me. And now right. we're here together in this. So, so yeah, I think. And that, she and she seems when they first have that meeting, she seems familiar with him. Yes, this absolutely. isn't the first time he's asked her for a favor. Right. So I think it's really. There's almost a flirtatious moment at the door. Can I a come bit, in? Yeah. And she, he's, he's well, pushing. She's kind of. He's, he's very, and I, I'm not super familiar I know I've seen that actor in other things yeah. he's very naturally charismatic oh is he and okay. j- just just in what we've watched, oh he was great I, he's yeah. very naturally charismatic and that works well for him being a this politician, he's politician. character but I think uh, he's he's somebody to look for to watch yeah. for the rest of this season for yeah. sure he's he that's an interesting character for sure I mean he's obviously not a main character but he's definitely a propagator, definitely something right. something that's going to happen because of this. So yeah. I think I absolutely agree. I, I I'm fully vested in this now too. I love I love the world they've built. I right. think it's grounded in possibility. I mean, mm-hmm. we've already kind of touched on them wearing masks, but you know, federal uh, the, the Mexican government. We I mean, the poor people, the the police there have to wear masks yeah. for Check retribution. So it's like we're not too far out of that. And right. you know, talk about white knight. Um, I believe Lindoff is Jew or Lindelof is Jewish, and so they talk about. Oh, I, and I'm, I I hate myself for not knowing this. There's a night where all the Nazis broke all the windows to the stores. Yes. Okay, and I think that on a racial level, because mm-hmm. he kind of brought that to to that to part of it. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that um I think he's brilliant, and I think that his storytelling is fantastic. And right. for every reason you're talking about. If you didn't know it was a Watchmen IP or, or, or the series, mm-hmm. you would you, you would it, still be engrossed in the world. Exactly. the story that they're telling. Yeah. And I think the fact that he can now has access to that information, mm-hmm. it's just going to be it's going to be incredible. I really yeah. think so. And I hope we get more series out of it. I can't wait till, till next week. I really can't. So, wrapping it up here, final thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm going to spring this on you. Out of five, let's rate this episode. Okay. I don't... It. I don't give how, anything. How, how many? How many Rorschachs? How many Rorschachs? <laughs> out of five Rorschachs, how, how many would you give? You know, I never. It's I. I will rarely give something to five. I mean, we talked about right. this on your on your uh, 
uh, we were talking about Endgame, right? right? Ranking our, our, our five. Check out that episode. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I would say it was a solid four because I, I really enjoyed I just loved how the episode started. I mm-hmm. loved the character evolution and the character introduction of who right. Silk Spectre was and, and just kind of where she's at now. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that there was a little bit in the middle when it was a little bit slower for me when we kind of came away from that story. But right. it wasn't something where I ever lost interest in it. Yeah. And I say a solid four. And now I ask you, how many Rorschachs I, do you I, I would have to agree. I'd give it a solid four out of five Rorschachs. Yeah. I, I think that this moved the plot along. Right. It gave us a completely different character's perspective. Mm-hmm. And now we know that both her and Angela are going to be on a collision course later Isn't, on in the season. That's so wonderful, too. Um, it built even further the intrigue behind Adrian's plot. Uh, it gave us more stuff, more hints towards Manhattan because we know we're going to see him. Of course, we saw in the trailer when he picks right. up uh, Maya. And I'm, I'm really excited for next week's episode. Me too, for sure. Are there any expectations you have? Is there something you would like to see next episode? I would like to see. You know, it's funny. This and I get, I get thrown under the bus for this a lot. I love character-driven dramas, and that's what this episode was. And I, right. and we talked about it before. The leftovers, all that. The only action we really got in this episode was the very end, when the bomb went off. Right. Um, but there's so much tension in the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's so much tension in when they find the racial device, when she goes there for the warehouse the first right. time, and then when they're in the, we're in the, they're in the uh, morgue, not the morgue, then the... Um, Mausoleum. The Mausoleum, thank yeah. you. Just these conversations, and even when she's talking to a Keen in her in her apartment, yeah, like these conversations carry so much gravity. So I would love to see more of that. I'm a okay. big fan of that, and yeah. I know I'm gonna get. I'm probably in the minority when it comes to that, but usually a little more action. I don't think you are with these kind of stories, right? Like with the characters that you're interested in, having those kind of conversations matters, and it gives you that window into their brain, what's going on with them, and yeah. their. Um, their objectives in any given situation. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's something that I think is going to be featured a lot. And, and this episode definitely leans towards that. What do you hope we see next week? Next, next week. Not ne- in the whole season. Next, next, next week. week, I want to see... I want to get more of a um, clarification on Ozymandias. I'm I knew super it. I, knew, I, can, I can feel you. Stuff. I can just feel Especially the energy around you. Because like, oh. the past couple episodes, you know... We all assumed he was playing Adrian Veidt. Yeah, but we didn't know. Jeremy Irons is doing a fantastic He's wonderful in it. Um, We all assumed, but we didn't know for sure. But now that he's officially confirmed, now that we've seen him in the getup, I would love to know what's going on with him. I would love some more breadcrumbs. They don't have to give us everything next week, but I want to have more breadcrumbs on maybe who the warden is, who the game warden is, maybe where he actually is. is. So I, that's what I want, for sure. Do you think by next week he'll be an established main? Well, let's just call him a main character, right? Because we know I would say so, yeah. I think so, too. I, w- I, would, I would say if we're looking at it from this general perspective, especially after viewing this third episode, mm-hmm. we have three leads. Yeah. That would be Angela, Lori, and Adrian. And for nine episodes, that's... That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty that's good, pretty, especially yeah. when you get nine hour-long episodes yeah. to flesh these characters out and to yeah. give them those moments to grow and develop yeah so that is going to do it for this week's watching the watchman tune in next week for episode four um really looking forward to it chris thank you for joining me thank on you this for ride. having me. expect to hear his silky sultry voice oh, again yeah. and uh we will see you all next week so until then for geek explain this is eric azana and chris carter and we will see you next time